Hey guys, it's Danielle. Thanks for tuning in. We have a lot of exciting things going on at Kensington I would love to tell you about. At Kensington, the sports references come naturally. You could say we have some crazy fans among us. So every year with the Super Bowl, we take time to pause from our current series and analyze the game. There's a lot of life lessons we can learn that we can apply to our own lives. It's fun, it's engaging, and it's humorous. It is the perfect service to invite someone to, especially that fan who might be a little reluctant to come to church at times. So come and join us as we learn about how it takes a team to win a game and how everyone has an important role to play. Should I do that? God has given Kensington a passion for building the kingdom near and far. We have over 10 global partners who are on the ground bringing Jesus to their communities. We support these partners with resources and with relationships. Our short-term trips bring us to the heart of what our partners are doing and gives us an opportunity to work together to bring the hope and love of Jesus to the nations. Our 2018 short-term trips are open to all with several locations, including Latin America, Brazil, Haiti, India, Nepal, Kenya, and Israel, as well as special projects within the U.S. So if this is something that interests you, check out the link below. <laughs> yeah. Ready? Okay. Just that line. <laughs> yeah, that's going to take me a second. Okay. Okay. There is a new and exciting resource we want to share with you. So here's my friend Justin with more information. Hey, Kensington Church, we are so excited to share something with you today. Through the years, I have benefited from listening to great podcasts, messages online, watching videos, attending conferences, and hearing from some different teachers, leaders, and perspectives in my desire to grow. I know that so many of these resources have encouraged my relationship with Jesus, how I lead my family, and how I lead others. And now we have an opportunity that puts all of these resources into one place. It is the Netflix of Bible study material. There are over 14,000 videos that we're going to give you access to absolutely free. It's called Right Now Media. These videos are going to help you in the areas of parenting, finances, your relationship with Jesus, questions around apologetics, your leadership in the workplace and at Kensington, the Bible studies you lead. These are great videos for your marriage, for your family, and for your kids. And we are so excited to be able to give you access to this resource because we believe it will encourage you, your family, and the people you are leading. And it will encourage moments where Jesus transforms and mobilizes you towards his mission and purpose in this world. We believe that will have an impact on the groups and teams that you lead here and throughout the week. We hope you enjoy Right Now Media. Visit our website to accept this free gift from Kensington. So that's it, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now I'd love for you to stand up and say hi to some people around you.
these guys. These guys are worship and arts directors, and they are so incredibly talented. And the amazing thing about what you just saw was that for each of these guys, they were never in the same location, and that they each filmed their piece, and then through the miracle of technology, we just sort of put it all together, and something great happened. And when I just saw that for the first time, it just reminded me of how far technology has come. Because even 30 years ago, 30 years ago, and maybe probably 30 years ago and change, the first mobile phone came out. That thing that you just saw in that video that looked like a brick and that had an antenna coming out of it. Just honestly, and honestly, anyone ever owned one of those things before? Hands up. You should be proud of that. That's awesome. And so there are some of you who have owned that. But now we have these things. We just slide into our pockets or our purses, and no big deal to carry them around. And even this past week, my wife and I were driving around the area, and we saw something that we haven't seen in a very, very long time. And we did a double take on it, and it was a video store. Didn't even think those things even existed anymore. But if you think about it, like 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, they were all over the place. Uh, all over the place. Blockbusters were everywhere. But now video stores have gone the way of the dinosaur. Social media, when you think about social media, it's only been around for 20 years. Yet for so many of us, we're on social media. Even just by a quick show of hands, how many of you are on Facebook right now? Facebook users, Instagram, a little less? Who are the Snapchat people in the room? You guys, anyone do the whole tweeting thing here? Any tweeters? Awesome, some of you do. So digital technology, how far it's come in just a few short decades is incredible. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today as we wrap up our series, Crave, where we've been talking about that aspect of our lives that has the potential to not just influence, but determine the direction and the quality of our life. And later on, as we've been talking about for the past several weeks, we're also going to provide a time where we're able to come forward with our tokens, those items that symbolize a craving that we want to surrender to God this year. And if you forgot your token, or maybe this is the first time you're hearing about it, and you want to be a part of this, because there's something like God, maybe through the last couple of weeks, maybe today, God has been saying to you, hey, you know what, there is a craving that I want you to give up to me. And if that's you, all of you should have received an index card like this, and feel free later on, when that time comes, just to write that craving down and to bring it forward. But as I mentioned, today we are going to be wrapping up our series by talking about a craving that so many of us here in this place, we struggle with. 
and that's our digital devices. And just also by a quick show of hands, how many of you were at the leadership gathering last week? Okay, a number of you were. And at that gathering, I gave a talk about digital health. And this past week, our teaching team decided that they, we wanted not just those who were at the ga- that gathering to hear it, but really everyone in our community. So the talk that I'm going to give today is similar to the one that I gave at the leadership gathering. And the reason why I believe and we believe that digital health is so important is because it's something that has become so rare and so elusive for so many in our culture as we're inundated, as we're surrounded by and immersed in digital technology. And it's something that many of us struggle with. It's something that I struggle with as well. And I was reminded of my struggle probably about a month and a half ago when my family and I, we were back in Philadelphia. And we were getting ready to move here. So we were packing and getting everything ready. And I remember, and on one day, one day before Christmas, um, I was in my house and a bunch of the people on the, uh, the teaching team here at Kensington, they started sending out, texting out family Christmas pictures. And some people took pictures of their family inside their home, in, front of their, in their living room, in front of their fireplaces. Somebody took an impromptu picture of their family hanging out in their kitchen. Somebody actually went outside and in the snow, with snow blowing in their faces, they took their family picture out there. But Kevin Valentine, who's the lead pastor of our Orlando campus, He texted out this picture. And I remember the day that I got his picture, the day that I got his picture, it was a cold, it was cloudy, it was a windy day in Philly. And I was standing in my living room when I got his text. And so I opened it up and I I was looking at that picture. And I was looking at his beautiful family standing in front of their home, in front of their palm trees in shorts, basking in the bright, warm sunshine, not a snowflake on the ground, and it looks like not even a cloud in the sky. And so I took a look. I was looking at his picture for a couple seconds, and then I looked outside my window at what I was living in, at the cold, at the misery, at the clouds, I was lo- at the wind. And then I looked at his picture again, and I thought, you know what? That's a beautiful place. That's a good-looking family. And then I, again, looked outside my window. And then in a moment of weakness, I thought to myself, you know what? I've never met Kevin. He lives in Orlando. I I don't know Kevin, but right now I hate Kevin. (laughs) And that was because I was feeling envious. I was feeling discontent because I wanted to be where he was. I wanted to be standing outside of my house in front of my palm trees, taking my family Christmas picture. But of course I wasn't. And maybe for some of you here, you've experienced something similar. I know many of you have experienced this on social media because it happens so frequently that they've actually created a term for it, which is called Facebook depression. And Facebook depression happens when we compare our real lives to the Facebook lives of other people, which can, lead us, can, which can leave us feeling envious, discontent, and can even lead to feelings of depression. And of course, this doesn't just happen on Facebook because we all know that only old people use Facebook. But it happens on so many other social networking sites as well. And the reason it happens is because when we see someone's life on social media, we're usually only seeing the best, the most exciting, the most fun, the most interesting, the most successful parts of their lives. And so when we go online and see the best of everyone's life, both personally and professionally, it's so easy to start thinking that, you know what, their life must be so much more exciting than mine. That their family must be so much happier than mine. That their career must be so much more successful than mine. And it's so easy to start thinking that there must be, mis- that there must be something missing, something wrong with my life. And this is one of the disadvantages of digital technology. And of course, there are so many advantages. Because digital technology allows us to be better connected to one another. It allows us to have access to more information than ever before in human history. It also allows us in many ways to work more effectively and more efficiently. But it also has a ton of disadvantages as well. When it comes to these things, our phones, 27% of people in this country admit to being addicted to these things. That number increases to 50% for teens. We're so attached to these things that 40% of people in this country admit to using their phones while sitting on the toilet, which means that for so many of you here, I don't ever want to touch your phones 
But the funny thing is, you shouldn't ever want to touch mine either. None of you. These things are also the source of a lot of discord in families. 77% of parents and teens have argued about cell phone, about smartphone usage. And I just learned this yesterday. My wife told me this, but she told me about this medical condition that's this a medical condition that's now called text neck. And that is pain in your neck and in your upper back from doing this so much. When it comes to digital media, the average American now consumes 12 hours and 7 minutes every single day of digital media. And of course, that is a staggering figure. And that, of course, includes multitasking because a lot of us will have the TV on and then we might be on our phone. So it includes both those figures. But nevertheless, that's an incredible number. Also, as a result of living in an increasingly digitized world, according to the National Center of Biotechnology Information, the average human attention span has gone from 12 seconds to now, to 12 seconds back in the year 2000, to now 8 seconds, which is one full second less than that of a goldfish. And so, honestly, congratulations to us on that incredible, incredible achievement. So this is the world in which we now live where we're surrounded by, where we're immersed in digital technology with all of its advantages, but a ton of disadvantages as well. And so what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to navigate in this culture? And one of the things is that I don't believe that abstaining and just saying, hey, no to digital technology and trying to live that way is the solution. Not only because digital technology has so many advantages and benefits, but primarily because I don't think there's anything wrong with digital technology in and of itself. But rather, where I believe the problem lies is within you and me and the fact that we fail to develop healthy habits when it comes to this area of our lives. And so the big question is, and the question that I want to address today, is what are some habits that we can adopt that will allow us to use these God-given tools in a healthy manner? And I want to give you three thoughts today. And the first is a principle. It's actually a leadership principle called self-differentiation. And it was first introduced to me by my wife, Robin, a number of years ago because she's a family therapist. And this principle originated in that field with a man by the name of Dr. Murray Bowen. And then it was taken by a rabbi and family therapist named Edwin Freeman who then adapted it into this leadership principle. And today I'm going to talk about one very basic but foundational aspect of self-differentiation. But if you'd like to know more, I'd encourage you to read Friedman's book, uh, Failure of Nerve. But according to Friedman, a self-differentiated person is somebody who has a strong sense of self in that they understand who they are. And because they understand who they are, they're able to effectively separate themselves, differentiate themselves from the emotions, the expectations, and the desires of others while... And this is an important part. They're able to do all of that while, able to be, while they're able to be continuing to be connected to that person in relationship. And so let me give you a few examples of what a self-differentiated person looks like. A self-differentiated person, when someone comes at them and is angry, is frustrated, is critical, is judgmental, and just wants to unload on them, because they know who they are, they don't take what that person says personally, they don't get defensive. They don't take on that person's emotions. But rather, they're able to listen, and then they're able to respond in a calm, steady, non-anxious manner. And afterwards, they don't say, oh my goodness, you, you hurt my feelings. You criticize me, so we're done. No, they don't cut off the relationship, but they continue on in that relationship. A self-differentiated person is also able to say no. They're able to draw firm boundaries. They're also able to make hard decisions that they know are correct but will be unpopular because you know what? They're not people pleasers. They know who they are. And the most self-differentiated person who ever lived in history was a person by the name of Jesus because Jesus knew exactly who he was and he, ex he knew exactly why he was here. And so when people like the religious leaders of his day came at him and they criticized him, they judged him, they said horrible things to him, Jesus never took it personally. He didn't get defensive. He didn't take on their emotional baggage, but he listened to them. Even though he knew everything that they were thinking and everything that they were going to say, he still listened. And then he responded in a non-anxious manner. 
Jesus also had no problems saying no. And when you actually look at Jesus' life, he said no a lot, not just with his words, but also with his actions. Because Jesus walked by so many people who so desperately wanted to be healed. And he could have healed them in a moment. But he chose not to. He said no. Jesus also had no problems making hard decisions and also making statements that he knew were correct but would be wildly unpopular. Like saying that he was the son of God, that was a pretty unpopular one. And it eventually got him killed. But he had no problems doing these things because he knew who he was. And this principle of self-differentiation is so, I believe, is so incredibly important, so applicable for us as we're living in this digital world. Because if we don't have a strong sense of self, if we're not self-differentiated, we're going to try to gain our approval, our validation, maybe even our identity from places like social media, from the number of followers we have or don't have, from the number of likes, shares, retweets we get or don't get, what people say about us when they say, oh, you know what, you're so beautiful, you're so pretty, you're so talented, you're so whatever. We're going to try to gain our identity from those things. Or when someone writes us an email, a terrible email just ripping us apart or sends us a nasty text or leaves a horrible message because we all know people tend to be a lot more courageous, a lot more bold online. But when that happens, if we're not self-differentiated, the temptation is going to be to respond in exactly the same way and then cut off the relationship. And all of us have seen those types of exchanges, whether they be via email or social media, where somebody said something horrible and then the other person just responded in just the same way and went back and forth and back and forth. And every single time I read one of those threads, I think to myself, those words actually traveled from your brain to your fingertips you typed them on your computer or on your smartphone, maybe even reread parts of that message, still thought it was okay, and pressed send. Really? But yet, for so many of us, we've experienced this or we see this on a daily basis in both our personal and our professional lives. But imagine if every single one of us chose a different way. Imagine if every single one of us were self-differentiated in that we knew who we were, and that our identity doesn't come from whether people like us, whether they approve of us, or what they say about us online. But it comes from who we are in Christ. That we've been made new. That we're chosen. That we're sons or daughters of the King. That we are more loved and more cherished than we could ever understand or imagine. That because we know that, when we get that text, that email, that comment, that rather than getting, rather than getting defensive, rather than taking on that person's emotions... We listened and then we responded in a calm, steady, kind, loving, non-anxious manner. Imagine if every single one of us here did that in our workplace, in our homes, in our communities, in neighborhoods, in our church. Imagine the message that it would communicate to those around us. But in order to do that, it requires us to be self-differentiated. It requires us to understand who we are. And as a kid, I grew up in Vancouver. Not Vancouver, Washington, but the real Vancouver, Vancouver, Canada. <laughs> and as a kid growing up, my mom would sometimes take my sister and I to this restaurant. It was a buffet, and it was called Uncle Willie's. And so she would take us to this buffet. And as I, as I shared with you last week, growing up, I was, as a kid, I was pleasantly plump. And so one day I just said to myself, you know what? I'm tired of being overweight. I'm tired of getting teased every single day. So I'm going to lose some weight. And one of the ways that I knew, an effective way to lose weight, I knew was to eat less food. And so one day I found myself at Uncle Willie's and I found myself at the very beginning of the buffet line. And I looked down at, my pl at the plates that I could choose. And so there are two types of plates in front of me. There was a dinner plate, which was around 12 inches in diameter, and then a tiny little salad plate, which was four inches in diameter. And so I thought to myself, you know what? I'm trying to lose weight, so I'm going to take the smaller plate. Which, because I was thinking, smaller plate equals less food. And so I was thinking to myself, I'm just going to take this amount of food and that's all I'm going to eat today. So I took that tiny little plate, and the first section in the buffet line was the salad section. And I walked right past that, because we all know that salad's not going to help you if you're trying to lose weight. So I walked past the salad section and made a beeline for the mashed potatoes. 
And so I scooped some mashed potatoes on my plate, quickly realized, you know what, I'm running out of room. So I stopped that, went over to the French fries, got some of those, squeezed some of those in, left a little sliver for the macaroni and cheese, and put that on my plate, stopped by the meat section, got some ham, and then went and sat down. And I kid you not, in two to three minutes, that food was gone. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, I am still so hungry. And so in that moment, I made a decision and I said, you know what, I'd rather be pleasantly plump and full rather than skinny and hungry. So I just went into the line, just went and went for it and just ate as normal. But what I was trying to do in that moment and what I failed to do in that moment was I was trying to exercise a discipline that we all know as portion control and that I was trying to regulate my consumption of, in this case, food. And portion control is something that the Apostle Paul told the Jesus followers in the ancient Greek city of Corinth to do in a letter that he wrote to them way back in the first century AD. And this is what Paul told them. He says, everything is permissible. But you know what? Not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. And this is what Paul was saying. He was saying that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, And that because Jesus died and rose again, for those who have chosen to follow him with their lives, they now enjoy an extraordinary freedom. But because, but just because we have this freedom, Paul is saying, doesn't mean that we should always exercise it. Because some of the things that are permissible to us, as he says, are not always beneficial. And I think this is so applicable for us when it comes to our digital devices, when it comes to digital technology as a whole. Because it is permissible, but that doesn't always mean it's beneficial, especially when we consume so much of it. And just to give you a little bit of a perspective and just a little bit of sort of to paint a picture as to how much people in this country consume when it comes to digital technology. For social media, The average person, the average American consumes almost two hours or takes in about two hours of social media every single day, uses it almost two hours a day. Teens, of course, are not surprisingly leading the way in this area with upwards of nine hours of daily social media use. Barna last year, the Barna Group did a study last year, and they found that 68% of Americans watch television every single day. And when we watch television, we watch an average of four hours a day, which means that for the majority of Americans, we watch 28 hours of television every single week. Parents, something that you've tried to do is you probably tried to limit screen time for your child because you understand, you know what, that's just not a healthy thing for them to always be sitting in front of a screen. But in a study that was done recently by Common Sense Media, they found that parents are some of the worst offenders Because parents, on average, spend 9 hours and 22 minutes in front of various screens. And out of those 9 hours and 22 minutes, only 8 of them were for work. I mean, 8 of them were for personal use, which meant that only an hour and 22 minutes was for work. That's an incredible number. And the interesting thing about that study was that out of all the parents that they had a conversation with, 78% of those parents believed that they were positive role models for their children when it came to digital technology. And so when it comes to this issue, for so many of us, we, we are consuming so much. And in many ways, it's out of control. And so what are we supposed to do? How can we practically exercise portion control in this area of our lives? And so I want to give you two thoughts. The first is to scale back, to cut back. And, wh- and that's one of the primary principles of portion control is to scale back consumption. But in order to scale back, we first have to figure out how much are we actually consuming. And so the, really the first step is to figure out how much are we watching television every day? How much are we on social media? How much are we on our phones? And to then to scale that back. Or if you want to take a really radical step, and some of my friends have actually done this, is to take a digital Sabbath. In that one day, just commit to not being on your device or not consuming any digital media, which is a radical thing to do because very, very few people do it in our world. And prior to coming to Kensington, I was a young adult pastor at a church in Philadelphia. And so I had so many conversations with college students, with young professionals, and with their parents on this very topic. And out of all the conversations I had, I never, ever once said to anyone, you know what? 
you should really think about being on your phone more. You should really think about watching TV more. You should really think about having a greater social media presence. Those words never, ever came out of my mouth. But I encouraged, I challenged countless number of people to scale back, to scale back their use, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes a day, and then to use that time to do something else, something that energized them, something that breathed life into them, like meeting up with someone that they've always been wanting to meet up with, but have said, you know what, just don't have the time. Doing things like exercising, spending time with family, connecting with God. And what if every single one of us here did that as well? And that we scaled back 30 30 minutes, 60 minutes, maybe 90 minutes a day. Because time is one of the most valuable resources that we have. And so many of us complain that we don't have enough of it. So what if we cut back on an activity that has been proven to drain us of life and instead we engaged in something else that breathed life into us? Don't you think that would allow us to more fully step into the life that God has created and designed for us to live? But we need to scale back. But at the same time, something else that we can do when it comes to this whole idea of portion control is to schedule time. Because for so many of us here, including myself, our days are so scheduled. We schedule when we're going to exercise, when we're going to have our meetings, when we're going to eat lunch, when we're going to pick up our kids, etc., etc. So what if we also scheduled our digital technology use when we're on our digital devices? We said, hey, you know what? This is the time that I'm going to actually watch that show or stream that show. This is the time that I'm going to be on social media. This is the time I'm going to do whatever it is. What if we scheduled that time? Or if you want to think of it another way, what if we actually scheduled certain periods of our day where we committed to not being on our devices? Because for so many of us here, a screen is the last thing that we see before we go to bed. It's the first thing that we reach for when we get up in the morning. And we all know how disruptive our devices can be when we're trying to have a conversation with someone, when we're out having a meal or having coffee with someone, we've all experienced it. Whether it was a coworker, a family member, a friend, and we were in the middle of a conversation and their phone went off and they got that text, that call, or that email or whatever it was. And absolutely, sometimes it is urgent and they need to respond right away. But so many times, it's not. And when we interrupt a conversation to respond to a message that's not really urgent, a phone call that's not really urgent, in many ways, we're making a value statement and that we're saying, you know what? The person who's on the other end of this is more important than you. You who actually carve time out of your busy schedule to come here and meet with me. And so what if we actually lived differently? Every single one of us. What if we chose a different way? For the first and the last 30, 60, 90 minutes of our day, rather than being in front of a screen, we were fully present with the people around us. Whether that be our family members, our roommate, if you live alone, doing something else that breathes life into you. What if when we were out having a conversation with someone, having coffee with someone, or eating dinner with someone, what I typically do when I'm out is I'll put my phone face up right on the table. And I'll see every single notification that comes through, every single text that comes through, every single phone call that comes through. But what if instead of doing that, if we weren't expecting something urgent, that we silenced our phones and put them in a place that wouldn't distract us? What message would that communicate to the people around us? And I can imagine that they would probably feel a lot more loved and a lot more valued. And I bet it would also have incredible benefit for all of us as well. What if we lived like this and exercised this type of portion control? And portion control is a difficult thing to do. And it's probably not something any of us really want to do. And especially, it's especially difficult when we have it forced on us. And we're going to see a story of a young woman named Madison, a red chair story of what happened when that happened in her life and that she was forced to exercise this discipline of portion control. But when this got cut back in her life, something incredible was able to happen. And so we're going to watch her story. But, bef- but as we do, I want to invite the ushers to come forward to receive our uh, offering today. And if you're a first-time guest with us, please do not feel any obligation to give. Instead, what we'd love for you to do is we'd love for you to go out to the lobby after this service and to connect and to have a conversation with somebody at our starting point table. And you can, those people are very obvious. They have orange t-shirts, have starting point across the front. And we'd love for you to talk to them about how you can get connected to our community. But let's take a look at this story. It's great. Take a look.
I grew up in a Christian home. As I got older and kind of headed into high school, swimming upstream kind of gets tiring, and that affected relationships with my parents. I was disrespectful, fighting with them a lot, disconnected with my siblings, wasn't spending time with them, and typically where the five amigos and really good friends, and I was kind of not part of that anymore. I played volleyball all four years of high school, and I was looking to play in college. It was a four-day tournament my junior year, and I did something to my back, and I tweaked it. And I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you're done, it's over. And that was a crushing moment for me, just to know that I couldn't play the sport I loved anymore. I was angry with God. I think I found a lot of my identity through that. I used social media as a crutch for that feeling of that was worth something, and I found my worth in that. Because I was fighting with my parents and didn't feel connected with my siblings, Time on my phone was a lot. Social media became a big part. It was kind of my escape at home for sure. And even within school, I spent countless hours on Instagram, Snapchatting different people, Facebook, you name it. I was on it and I was doing it a lot. Having people like your picture or talking to them, people telling you that you're so pretty, um, felt good. And it was what I wanted to hear. So I used that as an escape to get validation from the world. As I was feeling lost and making poor decisions, one of my poor decisions was I got drunk at a Friday night football game in high school. And at the game, one of the teachers took notice. Um, that teacher did know who my parents were and he did tell them what had happened that night. My parents confronted me about it that night that they found out, and I denied everything. I said, there's no way. I wasn't drunk. He saw me drinking water. Based on how I was acting and everything else going on in life, they knew that something was wrong, and they knew that I was lying in that moment. My parents are not the type of parents that ground someone for two weeks and tell them to do better. Um, the moment that they found out, my life was pretty much over. My phone was gone for all of senior year. Being 18, it was the end of the world. I could no longer escape into that world. I could no longer keep in touch with all my friends on Snapchat. I could no longer be told that I'm really pretty on social media. It was, I was detached. A couple days after I was grounded, um, I was still pretty angry and I came home from school and kind of got into another fight about it with my parents and even was more mad. And one of the things I do when I'm mad is I like to drive. And so that night I did ask my parents, can I just go for a drive? And they did allow me to do that. And as I was driving, my mom always had on the Christian radio station and I was listening to that and a song came on and it was talking about how God just wants you to come home and about his grace and his love and Immediately, I was just overwhelmed, and I pulled over and just sobbed and just was my moment of being brought to my knees, and that was the moment that my life was forever changed, and that was my full surrender to God and kind of letting Him take control of my life. The weeks following that moment with Jesus looked different. It was a time that I felt God's unconditional love and His grace, and I felt forgiven. And I felt like He was just embracing me and just whispering, welcome back. He was saying, welcome back to reality. Welcome back to what's going on around you. He was telling me that what's in front of me is what mattered. It was my siblings, it was my parents, and it was relationship with Him. It was spending time with Him. I had goals for myself that I wanted to finish at least the New Testament um, before I left for college. I looked forward to getting that time with him and learning more about Jesus and who he is and answering the question of why do I follow him? Why did I surrender my life to him? I have fallen completely in love with Jesus and I have learned that my validation and my worthiness come from him. It does not come from social media, but it really comes from the word and what Jesus is saying about me. 
and how he sees me and who I am to him. What really struck me about Madison's story is when she said that when her phone was taken away, she felt like her life was over. That's how attached to her phone she was. That's how attached to our devices that so many of us here in this room are. And that we equate certain things with life. And that's, I can relate to that. And that I take my phone everywhere. And I dread something happening to my phone, like breaking it or dropping in the toilet or something like that. But yet, when something is taken away from us and space is able to be created, something new is able to happen. And what I believe that God did in Madison's life is that with that space in her life that she had, that he was able to renew her mind in so many ways. And I believe that's the third thing that we need to do if we want to experience greater digital health in our lives, is that we need to have our minds renewed. Because as I mentioned, with our devices today, we have access to more information, more entertainment options, more you fill in the blank than ever before in history. And so, but so much of what we're exposed to, so much of what we expose ourselves to, you know what? It's not God honoring. It doesn't move us closer to God. But in so many ways, it does move us further away in many respects. And so what we need to do is we need, those things are important. A lot of those things are important that we do, and not all of it is bad. But at the same time, in addition to that, what we also need to do is we need to also consume and to fill our minds with other things that will move us closer to God. And one of the things that Paul talks about is this very thing that we need to renew our minds. And this verse in the book of Romans, in the scriptures, has been one of the foundational verses as we've gone throughout this series. And what Paul says in the first half of this verse, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, is that he tells us, do not conform to the pattern of this world. But he says, instead, what I want you to do is I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of our minds that he's talking about here is not a one-time instantaneous event where we say, God, renew my mind, and sure, it happens, and then we're good for the rest of our lives. But rather, the renewing that he's talking about is a daily decision that we make. And a couple examples of how we can renew our minds every single day is by consuming the scriptures, is by reading the scriptures every single day and by re being reminded of the promises of God and who God says he is and who we are in relation to him, is being connected to God every day through prayer all throughout the day. It's jumping in to a group and having those people, those 2 a.m. friends that we've talked about so often, people who can encourage us, support us, who can ask us the hard questions, who can pray for us, is jumping into a group like Alpha. And Alpha actually just kicked off last week, and we had 118 people registered, which is the largest number that we've ever had. But we all have questions when it comes to our faith. And Alpha is a place where we can ask those honest quest those questions and have those honest conversations. And so if you're interested in Alpha, I'd love for you to, after the service to go out into the lobby and drop by the table, that table that's marked Alpha, and to register and to have that conversation with a person there. But it's all of these ways that we can choose to renew our minds. And Paul says that when we choose to do this, what the result will be is that he says, then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That when we choose to renew our minds daily, that then we will be able to understand how God wants us to live and how God wants us to lead. Because it's only then will we be able to understand what God's will is for our lives, which is an incredible thing. And so if we want to develop healthy habits in this area of our digital devices in terms or our digital technology as a whole, three things that we could do. Self-differentiation. The basic principle there is we have to understand who we are, what our identity is. It's about portion control, scaling back and scheduling time, and also choosing every single day to renew our minds. And my belief is, is that if we do even one of these things, it'll vastly change the way that we approach our digital devices, and we will take steps towards greater health in this area of our lives. And as we've gone through this series, 
this series has been so incredibly challenging to me because I came into this series thinking, oh, you know what? This is great. This is going to be great for this community, but I think I'm good. But as we've gone through this series, God has opened my eyes to areas of my life, cravings in my life that I thought I had control over. But you know what? I don't. They, in fact, have control over me. And it's not just one craving, but it is cravings. And this past week, as I was thinking about this very moment that we're about to enter into as a community, where in a moment I'm going to invite uh, people up to surrender, to give up their tokens, that item that symbolizes a craving that you want to give up to God this year. As I've been thinking about this moment this past week, you know what, I've been worried, I've struggled with it, I've even been a little bit scared. Because I know that if I choose to surrender my craving, that what I'm committing to is I'm committing to embarking on a journey where I'm going to be giving up something that's familiar, something that I know, something that I even know is unhealthy, but I've become very comfortable with it. And that scares me. and scares me a lot. Because I know in some ways, in, in, it's going to lead me to freedom. But in some ways, it's also going to be really, really hard. And so for the past couple of days, the question that God has been asking me over and over again is a question that I first posed to you all two weeks ago. It's a question that Jesus first posed to a paralytic man more than 2,000 years ago. And what that question was, was do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And if you do, this is the first step towards that. This is the first step that you can take towards freedom by coming and bringing your token and laying it down. And so after thinking about it, having, after having conversations with God about it, that's what I'm going to do today. And I'm going to bring my token down. And what I'm going to choose to lay down today is I'm going to choose to lay down approval and I'm going to choose to lay down fear. And for those of you, if you want to lay something down today, a craving that you know that God is saying to you, hey, I want you to surrender this to me this year. In a moment that I want to invite you to come forward. And I would love for you to come down these two aisles and to lay down your token on the stage and then pick up one of these blue tokens and then exit along the end aisles. And for those of you in the balcony, love for you to come down as well and to be a part of this because I think this will be a powerful, powerful moment for so many of us. And this blue token, this blue token that you're going to pick up after you lay down your token. This blue token is a special, special thing because it's given to those in Celebrate Recovery who after coming and experiencing for the first time choose to come back for a second time ready to work on their issue. It's also given to those who after experiencing victory in one area of their life choose to return to work on another area. So what this blue token represents is that it marks the beginning of a new journey. And that is my prayer and my hope, not only just for me, but for our entire community. That when we come and we lay down our token and we pick this thing up, this would truly mark the beginning of a new journey, a journey towards freedom, the first step on that journey. But something that I've been reminding myself of is that it's going to be a journey. And that every single journey, it has its highs and it has its lows. And I believe this journey will be no different. But at the same time, two things that I know that we will need on this journey is that we will so desperately need God and we will also desperately need other people. And if you want to embark on this journey, but you're thinking, you know what, I don't know. Uh, I don't really know, have anyone to walk on this journey with me. Then a great place that I would love for you to go is a place called Celebrate Recovery, which is one of the most extraordinary honest and authentic communities that we have here at Kensington and that it's a community that provides support and hope for the hurts, habits, and the hang-ups of life. And one of the incredible things about this program, about this community, is that they understand what the journey is like because they've been on it themselves. And so they are people who will walk with you, who will stand with you, who will cry with you, who will pray with you and for you, people who will ask you the hard questions. And they meet here at Troy on Monday nights, Tuesday nights, over at Orion. Incredible, incredible community. And so if you want to take that first step today, I'm going to pray in a moment. And after I pray, I want to invite you to come forward down these two aisles 
and to lay down your token and to pick this up, marking the beginning of something new. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, we thank you that what you desire for us as your people is that you desire for us to be free. God, and to live in that freedom that you purchased for us on the cross. And God, today we believe that for those who you have shown, God, there, there is a craving in our lives that we no longer control, but controls us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage to come forward, Lord, and to lay that down and to take this first step and surrender that, God, and to begin a journey towards freedom. Thank you, Lord, for your love, for your care for us, that this is something that you so desperately desire for all of us. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.
that whole concept of being a slave to fear, when I look up here and I see this, I'm going to tell you something. I am so proud of this community. Because for so many years, being involved in this community, when we say, listen, come, lay these things down, you just move. And many times in Scripture, God's waiting you to take a step before He parts the waters. And so when I see this stuff, and I look at all of these things that you're bringing up here, to me, this is, represents the heart, your heart, the heart of our church, your heart, the preciousness of your heart laid on this table and saying, Lord, would you take this? Would you take this and would you give me what you have? And the Lord's like, give it to me. Give me your burdens, your cravings, your addictions, the things that are holding you back. Can you imagine what 2018 is going to look like if we really hold on to this? It's unbelievable what could happen in our community. This is the heart of who we are. It's the heart of the gospel. God's saying, give me your stuff. I'll take your brokenness and give you something beautiful out of it. So, Andrew, I would love to just stand over these. I mean, there's some amazing stuff here. There's food. There's uh, representing alcohol, addiction, even a golf club. I mean, all these kind of things are just saying, hey, you know, honestly, like recreation golf, I don't know what that means. That's a big deal. That's a big deal, though. That's, That's saying, look, I'm... This is idol in my life, and I'm laying it down. I want you to come before everything else. That's what this is. It's a heart. So let's pray over this. This is so powerful. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you nudge our hearts and that you draw us. And your scripture says that you draw. And as you draw and as we turn to your light, all of our darkness is behind us. I just see our church turning to your light. And our darkness, and our cravings, our addictions are behind us, and our future is in front of us. And so, Lord, this is a holy moment, a beautiful beginning for individuals in us collectively. Father, we desire to follow you this year the most powerful way. We desire to understand how you've designed us. We desire to do your work in the world. Thank you, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Something else that we want to mention is that if you would like someone to pray with you, someone to pray for you, our prayer team is going to be right here at the front after the service. So we want to invite you to come forward. But also, something else I want to mention about next week is next week is going to be an incredible week. It's Super Bowl weekend. And so whether you're a Patriots fan, an Eagles fan, my condolences if you're a Lions fan, you persevere, you have, you have developed that. But nevertheless, it's going to be amazing here. So we want to invite you to come, come back for next week. It's going to be a ton of fun, not only here, but outside. We're going to have games. We're going to have walking tacos. We want to invite you to, um, we want to invite you to invite other people to come as well. So that's going to be happening next week. But thank you so much for being here, everyone. Have a great Sunday.